You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Preaching from the Grave, Episode 3, with Fodidas Ndame Mugabe. It's my pleasure to stand before you tonight uh, as I share with you the last part of my testimony. Uh, again, it's a summary. I will try to summarize it, and I don't think I will cover everything. But since most of you have got the book, God bless you. If you haven't, it's fine as well. You can get it anytime from Pacific Press, ABC. You can also get it from me. I still have it right at the back there. You can get it, even if you don't have money. But you think you will send money, it's fine, all right? Don't worry about it. And even if you don't think you will get money, but you think you really need it, I will still be happy to give it to you. Amen? Amen. Or maybe you want to use it to help somebody. Amen? Amen. I will be happy to give it to you. Uh, I have been talking about atrocities and evil things, but I think I've got to talk about the blessings as well, right? Uh, God has blessed me with a wonderful family. That is my wife, Jacqueline, and uh, the three sons, Mugabe, uh, Pauline, Pagiel, the small one, and Pedro, uh, the second born. They are wonderful, and I love them, and they love me. In fact, I have to recognize them, because if uh, they will not preaching, I wouldn't be preaching. In other words, my sermon, they play a role in whatever I say, amen? Uh, because if it, the family couldn't be working right now, and if they, there was no love from them, then I don't think I would be able to stand here and be able to speak the way I speak. So I praise God for that. Now, we, my story is in Rwanda, a country of a thousand uh, hills. But uh, right now we are not in Rwanda. We are in Northern California, a place called Wima Institute. This is Wima. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I'm not showing you the, 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 the trees and, and uh, the trails. There are beautiful places. We, we have a different programs. We offer health programs, New Start program, a depression and anxiety recovery. Diabetes Undone, and we also have the actual health program for four months, nursing program, education, business, for the, and, and even uh, a high school. And uh, I find this to, to be a blessing. The Lord has blessed me, amen? amen. Because uh, I find this place to be a wonderful place. I know you know some places which are so unique in this country and in, Amer in, in the U.S., but Wima, I've taught in different universities across uh, uh, in Africa. I taught in the Adventist University of Central Africa. And it's a big university, about 3,000 students, right? And I taught in uh, uh, Adventist University of Africa, which is in Nairobi, Kenya. But uh, even in IAS, I taught for IAS in the Philippines and CPAC. But allow me to tell you that I've found this place. We don't have many students. Only 150. But it is a place uh, I'm amazed when I see the young people. Everyone loves the Lord. Uh, usually young people, you know, they, they revolt. And these are Adventists, amen? 
Everyone loves it. When you arrive at women, you hear them singing. It's just a miracle. And you can just imagine there is something called the total community involvement. We are talking about ministry every Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday afternoon. Imagine all professors and administrators, Dr. Nedley, uh, Pastor McIntosh, Don, and all, everyone else, we all go out into the community. Imagine, every week, every Wednesday, we go out into the community, we preach the gospel, we visit, we help people. You can see what these people are saying. I think somebody told me that he knows this man, right? in the congregation. Anyway, we go out, we help the people who need our help. You see on this t-shirt, it is written, need help. If you need help, you just call us. We ride on our buses, on our, on our vans, and we go into the community. We have Bible study, and we help uh, those who are in need. So uh, I'm so gla uh, glad to be part of Wima family. Amen? And if you want, pay us a visit. Or you can even visit us online. It's possible as well. So I'm at Wima right now with uh, my family. Uh, this is a very interesting place where we have a baptism. Uh, with the New Start program, people will come and share testimony. Every month we have like 20, 30 people, even more. And they come and most of them will be rebaptized or baptized for the first time. And we have a wonderful place we call Moses Rock. It's a rock, the rock of Moses. So it's full of water, and that is in that rock, that is where we baptize people. Amen? And so we praise the Lord uh, for what is happening in this part. Now, we are talking about preparation for the final crisis. And I said this, uh, we, we had a very important verse we read in Isaiah that even youth, they shall faint, they shall be weary, but though they that wait upon the Lord they shall renew their strength. Amen? And uh, we said we are the, the object of the devil's attack, even in our days. You don't understand what is going on. It is not about political change. It is about, it's not about social change. It is about the devil who is intensifying his energy as to be able to have as many as possible for destruction. But God is good, amen, because we are one. Then we talked about the uh, Bible study. Yesterday we talked about uh, prayer. And I won't tell you that today uh, uh, I want to talk about service. Now, it is a testimony. I'm not going to emphasize on that. But I wish and I pray that through this testimony, you will actually understand that the way you and I can be strong in Jesus is through service to others. Service to Jesus, amen? When we serve God, and this is what I'm going to be talking about. I wish I had a long time. Maybe if you read the book, you will get uh, some information about it. Because I, the total community involvement that the General Conference has started, and it's happening across the world, I started that actually before that idea came. Right after the genocide, I organized just as a college student. 42 evangelistic campaigns at the same time. Imagine, as a young boy of 24 years old, I said, no, we've got to do something in this place because everything was chaotic. After the genocide, more than a million have been killed and churches are full of victims and, and siblings of killers or sometimes even killers and all of a sudden the genocide had been stopped and so you've got these people before you and I said, I've got to do something about this and I organized evangelistic campaigns. 
and 42 without resources but God provided, amen. Somebody will just come and say, hey, I heard you have an evangelistic campaign. You are using youth. I said, yes, sir. Say, no, you need money, I think. I say, yeah. Imagine, you just meet somebody for the first time. I say, how much money you need? That's a strange question. <laughs> somebody in the corridor, he greets, I heard you have an evangelistic. Say, oh, I, and I didn't know what to say. I just talked about a little. And then he said, okay, I will give you that money, Amen. And it was just amazing. Now, you can, and I'm saying, when we actually uh, serve the Lord, then we are saved in the process. Amen? And uh, we talked about the importance of prayer. I'm not going to re-emphasize that. Ellen G. White talks about that. That evil angels are crowding around, pressing darkness upon to shut us uh, from Jesus so that we don't see him. And they're there. And all of these attacks... Busy life, right? Families that are broken. All these are the things that the devil brings on our way so that we in the process don't see Jesus. And the angels of God, however, they are in charge. Amen. They are there to rescue God's people. And, uh, but they only intervene when we pray. Amen? That's what LNG White says in Christian Experience and Teachings of LNG White, page uh, 175. They intervene when we pray, right? She says... Some, I saw, did not participate in this work of agonizing and pleading. They seemed indifferent and careless, and the angels of God left them. Are you praying? Are you praying enough? We've got to be on our knees and pray, amen? Especially as we face these evil days, we've got to pray because angels of God are going to abandon those who are, not, who are careless and go to the rescue of those who are on their knees pleading for help, amen? And so we talked about this, and I'm not going to talk about service, all right? Service. Now, I wish, I'm not going to talk about this again for the sake of time, otherwise I will run out of time to share my testimony. But allow me to tell you this. And by, by the way, the testimony of Jesus. I'm testifying about Jesus, not about me. Amen? Amen? It is Jesus, not me. I have nothing to say. Right? It is Jesus I'm talking about. And so, uh, let me tell you, we are living in a time when God's people are being sealed. Amen? Revelation chapter 6 talks about the signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. I read an article once and somebody was saying, are signs really signs? And he was an Adventist who was writing. And he was questioning the, 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 the falling of the stars and, and the, the earthquake and, and all this. But these are historical things and they were written about. And these are things that had happened. We are living after that period of Revelation chapter 6 verse 12. Right. And interestingly, right, look, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by my wind. Now, some, of course, these are not stars as we know them, but we see the, 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 the shooting stars, right? You see that they saw them, and this, you can read some historical books, they talk about these things. Ellen G. White talks about this in one of the chapters in the Great Controversy, right? And interestingly, now, which seal was that? The sixth seal. And how many seals are there? Seven. And in the sixth seal, look at what happens, verse 14. 
Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. Now, let me ask you a question. If the sky is to recede after the sixth seal, in the sixth seal, then what about the seventh seal? Remember, there are seven churches, right? There are seven trumpets. There are seven seals. There is no eighth. And Jesus gives the same story of this world history to tell us that I am in charge. Amen? I am in control. In other words, my plan is not going to change. There's going to be seven churches, and we are living in the last church time. We, there's going to be seven trumpets. There's going to be seven seals. And in this seal, the sixth seal, the sky should have receded right after these signs occurred. Why then the sky did not recede? I believe it is because of you and me. Amen? And my friend who have just been here actually talked about this. What comes next in chapter 7 tells us why actually the sky has not receded. In other words, there is something between verse 13 and verse 14 that must take place. What is that? After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, on, and on the sea, or on the, and they were about to release this. I'm not going to go into this, because Ellen G. White talks about how she, some, the angels say, no, please hold on, hold on, don't, don't do that, don't do it, right? Until, uh, because there's another angel that comes, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seed of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the tree, until the servants of our God are sealed. Amen? In other words, Jesus should have come. But God in his mercy, he looks at you, he looks at me, and he realizes that, that something must be done. We must be sealed. God's people must be perfected. Amen. We must get prepared. In other words, we are living in a time when you and I are to get prepared, and that's all that Jesus is waiting for. He said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Angels were ready to release the winds. But because of God's grace and mercy, he says, no, 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 I'm going to give them a second chance. They are going to move around. They're going to preach, like, what amazing discoveries is doing, like, what amazing facts is doing, like, what the Seventh-day Adventist Church is doing across the world. Because sometimes we see it here, but in my own country in Rwanda, we are, and I was one of the organizing uh, committee members, we baptized within only two weeks a hundred thousands. This is the sitting of God's people. Not all of them are going to be prepared, but there are so many of them. We are fishing, and you could bring all kinds of fish and non-fish creatures, but definitely God's people are going to be fished. Amen? Amen? And so this is a transition time before the receding of this, the, the sky and the signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. We are right there. Jesus should have come, but he's just waiting. Wait a minute. Do not harm the earth. And the trees until we have sealed God's people, all right? And so uh, now you can go to chapter 8. Actually, it talks about the seventh seal. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about a half an hour. Now, interestingly, when you go to the, the rest, when you continue, the next part of that chapter doesn't have anything 
really to do with that. It's interesting, it's something that comes in. The seventh seal doesn't give details. It's only a silence of half an hour. An hour. Now, uh, there could be different interpretations, and uh, we have probably theologians here, and there are many who have written, but I do believe this is the time when Jesus is going to be descending, amen? amen. To claim his bride, amen? amen? Jesus is going to come after the sealing, and that is what Jesus is waiting for. Are you doing something about this? When you see your neighbor, when you see your friend, when you see your relative, your wife, your husband, you should actually know that this is the time we are being sealed. In other words, that was like the time Moses, the children of Israel, were going to leave Egypt. And they had just to go from house to house. And I mean, the house had to go, uh, had to, to just put a mark on the doorpost so that the angel was going to pass by. We are being sealed. Amen. Now I'm not going to, because I'm not preaching. After that, the sky is going to recede. And this is the silence of a half an hour. Well, one of the interpretations which I think is true, the Adventist church, we believe one, year is, one day is one year prophetically, right? And you've got biblical support for that. You can go to Ezekiel, right? And uh, Numbers 14. And now one year, uh, one day, one year. And one day is 24 hours. And uh, one year is how many days in the Bible? 360, not 65. Now, if you take 24 equals 360, then one day, I mean one hour, it's 360 divided by 24. And if you divide, you will get 15. Now, half an hour, you divide by two again. So you are going to be on the seventh day, right, after seven. And uh, that means it is a period of seven days. Now, I've wondered, and uh, you might have read a lot about that, but if we are going to travel, some may say, no, this is going to be a time, a silence in heaven for a half an hour, for seven days. Jesus is going to be coming, amen, to claim his bride. And these are billions and billions of kilometers Billions, no, 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 not billions, trillions and trillions. You can't even quantify them because where does Jesus come from? I don't think it's on the moon right here. He's here with us, but he's, the universe is, is billions and billions of galaxies. And for you and I to just, for the light to leave the sun, it takes and reach here at the speed of 300,000 kilometers per hour, per second. It takes eight minutes. For the light to come from uh, the nearest, we have the sun is part of the galaxy we call Milky Way galaxy. For the light to come from outside the Milky Way galaxy, it takes a star that is closer to us. It takes about 243,000 years at the speed of 300,000 kilometers per second. It will take 243,000 years. And we are talking about a neighbor star that is just outside our galaxy. And we have billions and billions of galaxies. Now, if Jesus takes like seven days coming, celebrating to claim his bride, and he takes us home, amen? amen. Oh, I want to praise the Lord for that. And I'm looking forward to that day when you and I are going to go. But listen, those who are being sealed, when you go, I, I, that's an assignment. You go back home and read Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 
uh, 5, uh, verse 1 through 5, you will realize where Ezekiel found five men who were ready to destroy the city. And there was one man who was ordered. The, the, the five men would say, hold on, don't do that until we have sealed the people of God. And one man was going to go through the city and he was going to mark the forehead of those people who mourn and lament over the, the evil things that were committed in, in, in the city. In other words, the condition is that do you mourn? Do you lament? Are you, do, you, do you feel sorry for things that are happening around here? There are so many people who want us and uh, who need our help and we, want to, to, we, we, want to, we will be doing something great if we tell them about Jesus. Now I'm not going to, let me just stop here. Write my personal experience. Mourning and lamenting about evil. What happened in Rwanda? I think some of you asked me a question, say, why were people being killed? Why were they killing them? Well, Tutsis and Hutus are two tribes in Rwanda, and there's a third one which is called Hutu, but they are very, like 1%. And the Tutsis were, not all Tutsis, one of the, 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 the clans of Tutsis was actually, they were kings. And so they were the rulers of the country. And when uh, Europeans came to Rwanda, they realized, the missionaries and others, they realized that uh, they found these Tutsis, and they kind of, the colonial power, kind of divided and ruled. When they looked at them, they said, no, 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 no. These people are actually different. They thought Tutsi were so handsome and so beautiful and more intelligent than others, and they thought the other Rwandans were not as qualified as these Tutsis. And so they favored them. They sent them to school. But then after a number of years, Tutsis said, no, we want to be free. We want our country to have a freedom. And the colonial power said, no, no, we don't want you to be free. And if you want to be free, then we will actually remember you are the minority and you are leading all these or Hutus, and, and, and of course Tutsis were being led too, because not everyone is a king, right? And so they said, no, we are going to replace you by this. What they did, they caused the majority, uh, the Hutus, to riot, and they revolted against them. And Tutsis were expelled out of, out of the country. They went into Uganda, they went into Burundi, into Congo, into Tanzania, into Kenya, into different countries of the world. After 30 years, they said, you want to come back home. We want to come back into our country. And they started fighting for them to be able to come back in the country. And the government that was in the country said, no, listen, if you fight us, we will kill all your relatives who are in the country. We will kill them. We will kill them. Now, we didn't have Tutsis in the country. We didn't have anything to do with the, 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 the fighting. We were just citizens like anyone else. And uh, they killed the president of the country, and then they started killing uh, every Tutsi who was actually in the country. Now, the other army was trying to rescue the Tutsis, and, and of course there were some Hutus who were hiding Tutsis. They were coming and rescue them and, and, and uh, trying to fight against the militiamen. That's what happened. That was a genocide. Now, uh, my rest of the story it takes place actually in this place. And I was in a situation where I ran into these mountains. When the genocide started, I was in Rwanda. 
I was in Kigali precisely. And Kigali was a city. But then I managed to cross and I went into a, a place called Ruhango. And in Ruhango, I moved from there. I went to church. I shared my testimony to church members. They were excited about what God did. They said, can you preach to us next Sabbath? And I said, yes, I will preach. Without knowing that I was not going to be able to preach because the genocide was going to start there as well. The next Wednesday, I was invited by my friend in another village to come and speak to his people during the midweek prayer meeting. And I went to his village and I preached. Now, people were so excited, they were happy. And in fact, huh, they were excited without knowing that those very church members were going to become, some of them were going to become killers in a little while. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not enough to sit in the church being called by the name of Christian or an Adventist. You've got to know Jesus you are as your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't, you cannot count on the faith of others. Just momentarily, excitement is not enough. You've got to know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Because when the time of trial comes, you will abandon faith. And this is what happened. Because a few days later, that was Wednesday, on Friday, around Friday or th uh, Thursday, actually things became changing. They started killing people everywhere. Tutsis were being hunted down. And I was in my friend's place. Because we had, I was now a refugee in my own country, but being inside the country. Now, the father of my friend was such a wonderful man. He tried his best to, to hide me. He took me to one home. He moved me to another. When militiamen knew I was there, he moved me into another house. Until finally, he realized it was actually impossible. Then one night, he brought me back home. It was around like 2 a.m. He said, no, my son, I could hide you your entire life. Hide you. I could dig a hole and put you into the hole. I could put you into the ceiling. But these killers, they will look for fresh soil and they will dig you out. And they will shoot into the ceiling to make sure there is no tooth hidden inside. And he said, son, I've got a solution. You want to hear what solution he had? It wasn't the right one. <laughs> because he said, there is no way out. No life. No survival. It's death. People are dying, and you, you're going to die. And he said, the only solution, there are so many thousands and thousands of Tutsis who had fled into Ruhango, one of the towns there, and they are gathered there. Obviously, they are not going to cut them with machetes. They will not stab them because they cannot finish them. They will shoot at them. And it is better you go and join with them and die with guns. In other words, he was saying, I don't want to see people cutting you into pieces. You go there and they will shoot at you along with other tooties. Now, then the old, let me tell you, there was no hope to him. And allow me to tell you, you know what? Somebody defined hope as hope, it means hoping when things are hopeless. You don't need to see evidences that the things are going to be good. Hope is hoping when things are hopeless. And somebody said, faith is faith when things are unbelievable. And I decided to have that hope and that faith. And so the man grabbed me by hand and he said, follow me. Now, remember, we're not going through the normal road. We were going through the cliffs, trying to climb the mountains. And going down into the valley, way into the swamp, and sometimes into the water, and then making sure there's nobody who can hear us moving by. 
And when we reached the top of one mountain, he showed me the lights. He said, son, do you see the lights over there? I was with another little boy. He said, do you see the lights over there? I said, yes. That is Ruhango. You go. Just follow this direction. Now, remember, we are not in the way. We are in a bush. And he says, that is it. Now, we knelt down and he prayed for me. He said, Lord, if it is your will, protect his life and let him live. And if it is not, we shall meet on the sea of glass. Amen? Amen. He was such a wonderful person. Imagine, you know, somebody's going to die. And he had like 4,000 Rwandan francs. I believe because he wasn't a rich person in such a very poor area, he got the 4,000 Rwandan francs he had, he, handed, he gave it to me. Imagine, you are sending somebody to die and you are giving him money. And so he gave me that money. But let me tell you, God wanted to prove to me that it is not about money. Because when I got that money, I thought that was going to be a solution for a while. I was going to use that money to bribe the killers. And so as a young boy, uh, yeah, we started our journey. Now we are, sometimes, you know, there is a cliff, you don't know, then you fall into a trench, then you rise, and sometimes it's me, sometimes it's my friend, and, we, and then all of a sudden you find yourself, oh, we are in somebody's property, and you don't know, maybe he's a killer, and you just try to run, but you don't even see, no flashlights, it's dark in the night. And we tried sometimes in the thorns, sometimes, and you know, but you rise again to continue until we reach the place. But God gave me the courage. Because of the time I have, I'm going to try to squeeze. God gave me the courage. I remember coming across a roadblock, and God was giving me a courage that no one can just have in normal circumstances. Because I found killers armed. There was no way to run because they are there waiting. And if I run, I'm not going to overrun them. And so God gave me the courage. I went and greeted everyone. I shook hand. I say, I shook hand of the first one. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And they were looking at me. They wondered what was going on. Is he a Tutsi? He's not. Because I wasn't scared. And they wondered what was happening. And then they look, I said, so are you watching? They said, yes. I said, good job. And I left. And they kept, they were, they were looking at me. And after, I, of course, that didn't last because I was climbing a hill, now going to Ruhango. When I saw an old woman, it was now morning time. She was sitting, and then she said, young man, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Ruhango. She said, don't go there. She suspected we were Tutsi. She said, don't go there. Tutsis who were there have been killed. If you go, they will kill you. And she said, no. Then she heard a group of killers coming by. And she said, go behind that bush. Uh, and I went behind the bush, and, uh, behind the house, and uh, behind that house... Then killers, when they passed by, she came, she said, follow me. That was, she was a wonderful woman, a Hutu. But, you know, that's what I'm telling you. It's not about ethnic group. It's not about racial issues. When somebody hates somebody else, it is because he doesn't know Jesus. And what happened? The old man, woman comes and says, follow me. And I went behind her, and she took me into her house. And then she brought me food. That wasn't, it wasn't the good food, though, because she was very poor. Then she saw me with the Bible. She said, no, so are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am an Adventist. She said, are you an Adventist? I said, yes, I am an Adventist too. She was a Seventh-day Adventist church member, amen? And then I told her, yeah, yeah, actually I was going to preach to your church up here. She said, no, don't go there. There is no church member. The church has closed. Because it's, they are in the business of killing. And those who are not killing are hiding. 
Those who are not killing are hidden. And so, whether you are Hutu or Tutsi, no church. It's a serious. A time is coming when you won't go to church. There will be no camp meetings like this one. And anyway, to, be, to make the long story short, she, I tried to go back again. I, she said, no, don't go up, go back. And now, the family that has sent me away was now going to see me coming back because I decided there's no other way to go. I'm going back. And I went back, and I met the first killer who threatened to kill me. And then when he looked, I said, don't you have money? So that I, uh, because they were very, very poor. They needed money. And so I took, I knew I had money. And I negotiated, and we agreed that I was going to give him 150, if I remember, 150 Rwandan francs. That was a very little money. And the guy said yes, but, no, I think it was a 300. Then 300 Rwandan francs, and I, unfortunately, my bills were only 1,000 Rwandan franc bills. And so I said, will you give me change? <laughs> he said yes, but he was, that was not going to happen. Because he, he tried to show me the way, and then along the way, he dropped us. Actually, another group of killers saw us, and they came. They were going to kill us, and then he said, no, don't kill them. These are my people. We had contracted, right? Don't, these are my people. And then they, they said, you give us money, or else we'll kill them. And they negotiated with him, and he offered 150. Then they said, no, 300. He rejected. I said, no, you have my money. Why don't you pay them? Give them the 300. Then with his machete, he cut one of the branches of the tree. He ran away. He said, do whatever. You do whatever you want on them. And he ran away. Now I still had money, amen? So I said, I've got money. Don't worry. I will give you money. You don't have to kill us. And he said, we are, we, the 300, I said, will you give me change? He said, no. Uh, no, he said yes. He said he would give me change. But he still, he was kind enough because he took me to his house and in his house he brought food. In other words, it was a good deal because I gave him 1,000, right? And he, he, brought money, uh, he brought food, but in that food there was also meat. I told him, I said, no, I don't eat meat. Oh, I had told God that I'm not ready to change any of my principles Amen. because uh, God is not unable to help. I said, I'm not going to eat meat. He wondered, he said, wow, you're not eating meat? He said, yes, I don't eat meat. And I knew God was going to take care of me. But early in the morning, instead of showing us the way to escape, he brought another group of killers who also were looking for money. Now, interestingly, even though I had 4,000, I didn't know where the other money had gone. But they took me, they said, no, let's go now. If you don't have money, we take you to the slaughtering place. Now, he didn't want to pay them even though he had my 1,000. And along the way, I looked at the killer. I said, no, listen, why are you killing me? You are looking for 300 Rwandan francs. Look at this jacket. What if I give you my jacket and I give you my shoes? Don't you think they are worthy more than 300? And after thoughtful consideration, he said, yeah, give that. And so I removed the jacket. I removed the shoes. And uh, he showed me the way. But... Then, of course, there was a, uh, the group of killers. They knew I was, because there was another one who went ahead of me. I'm trying to rush, run, uh, because I'm running out of time. Let me tell you. Then, of course, they came following me, even though he said, no, he put the jacket outside. He said, no, no, they are taking my jacket. They will kill me if they find me. You go. Now, I was walking. Unfortunately, I gave him the shoes. I gave him the socks as well, even though it wasn't part of the deal. And so I was now bare feet in a sandy, stony road. 
very painful. If you have not, you're not used to walking with the feet, it was painful. I'm trying to run and I don't see where I'm stepping and I'm running because behind me there are killers who are coming and I'm going through the bush and I went... It was a terrible situation. Now, to make, I just have to, to, to jump again because a time came when I found myself. I was hiding myself in a cassava plantation and I had this white shirt alone on me and I was scared people could see me even night time because it's not dark. And I tried to make the white shirt dark enough, but it couldn't be dark. Imagine I removed it, I just mixed it up with the soil and mud, and, and then when I put it on again, it became, it was white. <laughs> and people could see me from afar. And uh, that night, I managed to go to my friend's house, and when I reached my friend's house, uh, the old man saw me again back. Now I was a burden to the family. Because if the killers saw me coming into the family, they would have killed the family as well, or maybe charged them a lot of money, Punished them seriously. And the old man saw me, and the woman was so scared. She was actually trembling, and then she was weeping. And when I saw her with the tears, I asked her, I said, Mom, why are you weeping? She said, Son, they are going to kill you. What? They will kill you. I said, Mom, they are not going to kill me. And she said, That's childish. You don't understand. You are just a child. They are killing even people who pray, they are killing even Christians. And you think they are going to, they're not going to kill you? I said, Mom, I don't pray the God of so-and-so. I pray my God. And the God who protected my life in Kigali, he can still protect my life even here. Amen? Let me tell you, I want to tell you something. I don't have time, but at least you consider this. We don't have the same stories. Because God never runs out of stories and experiences. What he does for me is not necessarily what he does for you. He doesn't have to do exactly as he did for Fordidas. But he has thousands of ways to save your life. Amen? Amen. He can protect you, not because others are dying. They, not because somebody else had a cancer and he died within a month. It is not necessarily going to be so with you. As long as God is God, it is possible that if it is his will... Not because lions usually break people's bones and they swallow them almost alive that you are going to be broken. No, God can protect you even when you are thrown into the lion's den. Amen? He can still protect you. Not because something happened to others. And I told her, I don't worship the God of so-and-so. Now, I've got to rush. The old man said, no, son. I know only one bush. Now he's going to take me to a bush. He said, there's only one bush I know, and I will take you to that bush. If God protects you there, he will. Now the problem that was there, that only bush was also the only bush known by the killers. You know, was they were searching that bush all the time. And so he took me to the bush, and we knelt down and we prayed. That was the most important thing. He said, Lord, surround this bush with your angels. Let no one dare to come here. But God had made a way out of that problem. Because early, uh, around 11 a.m. in the, mo the next morning, I was in the bush. Now, uh, they didn't give me a jacket because they said, if we give you a jacket, remember, I didn't have a jacket. It was a rainy, rainy season. They said, if we give you a jacket, remember, they only have, this is a place where you don't have more than two jackets. 
And so if they give me that jacket, villagers will know whose jacket is that. And they will kill them. They gave me a sackcloth, a heavy one, because everyone can have a sackcloth, right? And that sackcloth, I was covering myself with it, but it was draped. I mean, it was raining, and it became heavy. And even when there's no rain, it's still dripping, right? The water in my, I'm covering myself. And uh, now this was a powerful word of God, amen. This Bible saved me twice. Because even when it was raining and nighttime, I put, I wrapped my Bible into a plastic bag. And I used it as a pillow, amen. In daytime, I could, if it rained, I put it in a plastic bag and I was covering my ears with it, amen. In daytime, I was reading. Now, let me tell you. You know, around 11, I heard the noise of dogs barking. And they were coming, they were approaching. And these dogs, when, as they came, I saw the dog barking and there were people shouting. And I tried to scare the dog not to come closer. They were hunting people with dogs. See, but you don't make noise. You try to chase the dog, but the dog does, is not threatened because it's trained to hunt. And I try to chase it, but the dog keeps barking and barks and barks. And I try, and then all of a sudden they say, we found one, we found one. Come out of the bush, come out of the bush. Realizing that there was no solution, I had my Bible in hand, and I came out of the bush. And I went to the killer, and God gave me the courage again. I went to the first person, I greeted him, I said, Hi. And the man was terrified. He didn't want to give me the hand. And I went to the second. He was not ready. Until somebody finally, he shook my hand, but he pulled it off. He said, oh, no, he has soft hands. Looks like he's not from the village. His hands are not used to dirt. And he was, now he said, they said immediately, said, okay, never mind. You look strong. We are so tired. We have killed so many. And we don't want to keep killing people after we kill, we dig, we bury them. We have no time and we are tired. Now you look strong, you dig your grave first, and then we kill, and then we bury you after that. So they took me to a place. They gave me the hole. Showed me a spot. Said, you dig here. There was another person whom they had killed. And there was the young boy with me. We were three. So I was supposed to dig a grave for three of us. They started digging. I begged them. I said, no, could you please shoot at me? Because I looked, they had clubs. And these clubs had nails, very sharp nails. And I just was wondering, trying to picture the nails in my scarf. And I said, could you please shoot at me? They said, no, why would we waste our bullets? We only shoot at people who are stronger than us, who are fighting us. And you, you have, you can fight us. And I started digging. Now I said, there is a God in heaven. I remembered that I have to say a prayer. When you don't know what to do, there is still something to be done. Remember, there is a God. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I've preached about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've told people how powerful you are. Did I lie to them or did I tell them the truth? And I said, Lord, if the story of Daniel is true, show me today that it is true. Show me that you have not changed and you are a God who never changes as, the, as, as your word says. 
Show me that you are a God who can still work out miracles. And I prayed. Now I was digging. And then I realized God was doing nothing. And I said, no, I started giving suggestions to God. I said, Lord, you can do something about this situation. You can give me wings and I will fly. And I was waiting for, I dig. I wait for wings, but there were no wings. And then I said, no, maybe God has no wings, Lord. If you don't want to give me wings, you bring about fire and everybody's going to be scattered and I will run in the process. I waited for fire. I expected things to be like the time of Elijah, whereby the fire came from heaven. But one thing I did not remember, there are no two examples in the Bible of fire. There is only one. God doesn't have to repeat the same history, amen? He, can, he never runs out of solutions. And I went ahead and said, Lord, you can, if you can give me wings, you can bring about fire. There is something you can bring about thundering storm. And everybody's going to collapse and I will run. There was no thunder. Then I was saying, Lord, this grave is going to finish and you are doing nothing. The grave is finished. You're doing nothing. Do something about this situation. And I kept digging, but God had already made a plan. Amen? He has designed a solution which no one else had gone through. Because somebody, one of the killers, just write these killers sitting around the grave I was digging. He was reading. He, was, he had my Bible now. Holding it. And he was opening page by page, trying to go through the pages of the Bible. And as he went through the pages, he could see the colors. Every, remember, my sister gave me, the very the gift she gave me was a Bible that was highlighted. Amen? And I took the habit to highlight the verse every time I read. And so this Bible was highlighted. And he came across every verse that highlighted and read. And then he paused and said, hey, wait a minute. Why are these colors in this book? And I said, these are my favorite verses. These are the verses I read, and they strengthened me. And then he said, oh, he kept opening. He said, ah. Every time he came across the highlight, he said, you mean you've read all that? I said, yes. And he kept reading. Now, every colorful verse, he never stopped until he read, and he was reading and reading and reading, until finally, after he said, no, said, no please, I beg your pardon. Now he, the Holy Spirit had touched his heart. Amen. There is no one who can be touched by the Holy Spirit of God. God can work a miracle. Even your neighbors, your child, your daughter, your mother, your father, anyone can be touched. And listen, this killer, finally he says, he said, no, please, I beg your pardon. Would you give me this book before you die? And I said, go ahead and get it. Amen. Because after all, I reasoned that there was no way to claim it. I was going to fly, right? So there was no way I was going to claim the book. And I said, go ahead and get it. But the other killers didn't allow him to finish the sentence because they shouted. They said, no, that's not your book because it's not even his book. Even he himself, he doesn't belong to himself. So we will kill him. And if you need that book, you will pay it. Guess what he said? He said, yes, no matter how much you charge, I will pay the book. Amen. The word of God had become so precious to him. And so he decides to buy and everybody was silenced. And so he keeps reading and he reads and I'm digging and I say, Lord, you don't do something about this situation. The grave is about to finish. You're doing nothing. But you know, our God is awesome. He never delays. Even when he seems late, he's always on time. Amen. Amen. We shouldn't necessarily give him the time limit. 
He is in control. And as I prayed, I said, you're doing nothing. I've, I'm going to finish the grave. You're doing nothing. They are going to kill me. God had already walked it out. One of the, that killer said, no, say, please. He was somehow touched and he sympathized with me. He said, no, out of mercy, he said, no. Ladies and gentlemen, there were so many people there. Most of them, of course, they were men, apart from the onlookers, women who were there. He said, no, listen, I please ask you, I know we'll kill this man, but allow me to help him to dig the grave. Now, he was offering to dig for me so that I can die quickly without a lot of suffering, mental suffering. And he they said, yeah, he's even delaying us. Go, go ahead and dig. He jumped into the grave. He started digging. Now, he was so fast. I said, Lord, this man, he wasn't good to me. This man is so strong. This man is so strong. He's finishing the grave. You're doing nothing about this. And I prayed. Then he finished the grave. But God had brought about a solution. Because right after the grave was finished, he said, yes, I'm done. And everybody said, now, the chief killer moved forward and said, hey, wait a minute. Before you kill this man, I want to ask you one thing. Why would we bury him into our field? This is our property. And we don't know him. It is, it is the government that has ordered that we kill these tutsis. Let him go and dig into the government's property. Let him dig another grave. And we use this grave to bury the brother, one of the, that guy who had been killed before. He was the brother-in-law of one of the killers. He had killed his own brother-in-law. And so they said, let's bury that one here. And these guys, they are going to dig another grave near the highway. Because that's the government property. Now my grave was confiscated. <laughs> he was refused. And all, now God was giving me another time. Guess what happened? I told you we are saved in God's service. Amen? As we serve God, we are saved. When we care for God's work, he cares for us. And listen what happened. All of a sudden, one of the guys, ironically, I don't know what happened. Something triggered change. He said, hey, wait a minute, by the way. We, why don't we pray for the people we are killing? Now, obviously, he had been a Roman Catholic church member or maybe another Protestant church member, at least those who uh, think we can pray for the people who, once they are dead, because I believe the Bible doesn't allow that. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 11 says, The dead, the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. And so, but he was obviously, didn't know that doctrine. And so he said, why don't we pray for the people we are killing? And another one said, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's pray for them, ironically. And another one said, yeah, let's pray. And then he said, Mary, mother of Jesus, receive him. And another one said, Mary, I, just one after another. And something changed my thinking. I felt like it was too bad. I said, Lord, maybe these people, they are actually killing people because no one talked to them about you. Because we've never approached them about the gospel message. And so they are killers. They are doing their job as this. They have never known the truth. And I told God, I said, no, I don't want wings. And I don't want to fly until I have told them who you are. They buried him. And I was praying. I said, Lord, I don't want to go. I want to say something. I want to tell these people who you are. And we reached the highway. And I approached the man who had my Bible. And I said, can you give me that? There was a beautiful place. Grass, very short. And it could be a good sitting place. And I approached the man. I said, can I have that book so that I say something before I dig another grave? And the man said, 
yeah, 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 go ahead. Now he was with me. He was just like me. And he said, go ahead and say something. But there was another killer who overheard that. He said, what? Him, a Tutsi, preaching to us? We don't want to hear from him. And then the other guy who was with me said, no, let him talk. Now the other guy says, he has nothing to tell us. The other one says, he, let him talk. He will talk. He won't talk. He will talk. Now there was a, about to fight. Now everybody who heard about the dispute, he, want, he was on one side. Some say, yeah, let him talk. Others say, no, 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 he has nothing to say. Now you've got the whole group of about 40 people. They are now divided. They are about to fight. Some are saying he has nothing to share with us. Others are saying, let him talk. And uh, I was watching, I was praying, Lord, do something about this situation. I've got to give you glory and honor. And as I prayed, something happened. Immediately, somebody came out of the group, the chief, the chief killer. He came forward and said, wait a minute. Why are you going to kill each other? Over somebody you don't even know. Let me advise you. You sit down. Amen? You sit down. And those of you who don't want to listen, you shut your ears. <laughs> those of you who want to listen, you open your ears. And then he preaches, and after that, we'll kill him. That seemed to be a good solution. <laughs> Pleasing to everyone. Now, all of them sat down. Interestingly, one thing they did, no one closed the ears, amen? They all listened intently. Even the killers, those who didn't want me to talk, were the one more attentive, probably. And I started talking. Now, I can't repeat the sermon I preached, but God was so great. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God was good. Because I started thanking them. I said, no, I want to thank you for the opportunity you're giving me to speak. And, but I want you to be assured I'm not pleading for mercy. Because I know God is able. He can rescue me. And if he doesn't, I know there's going to be a day when I will resurrect. When Jesus comes. And then I said, but I want to thank you. You are praying for the people you are killing, but you are wrong. And you should know that the battle you are fighting has nothing to do with ethnic battle. You are fighting the devil's fight. You are on the side of the devil. Because there are among Tutsis and Hutus, there are people you are killing. You think they are Tutsis, but they are the children of God. And even there are some Hutus who are not into this. And then I said, I read this verse to talk about that group of people. I said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I said, there are people of God. You are mistaken. You are killing some of them. They are resting. A time is coming. And I said, the only time you have now is you to repent now because the people you are praying for, it doesn't mean anything because the Bible says the dead know nothing. There is no love. There is no hatred. The time to repent is now. Don't expect that you will kill people now. And after that, somebody's going to pray for you. Now, as I was preaching, I can't repeat the same sermon. But some of them were wiping out their tears. They were crying. And I saw some calling each other. And they went behind the big trees at the highway. And I saw them charging each other, trying to point each other's hand. In the, 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 and I saw them. I was busy talking. I didn't care what was going on. And all of a sudden, like, it was like 15 minutes when I finished. I said, now, listen, I will say the closing prayer when I finish to dig another grave. And I expected that prayer to be like the prayer of Elijah on Mount Carmel. I expected God to do something about that, but they didn't allow me to finish the sentence. 
Because as soon as I said that, they say, somebody say, no, 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 no. Ladies and gentlemen, I was saying that we will kill this man in a very bad way. If you kill him, let his blood be upon you. And everybody said, no, 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 let his blood be upon anyone else who killed. I'm not among you. And everyone said, no, I'm not the one to kill him. And everybody shouted. What was I? Our God is awesome. God is great. All of them shouted. And the chief killer approached them and said, listen, you, so you want us to let him go? And they said, yeah, let him go, let him go. Let his blood be upon others, not, not on us. We can kill such a person. But they were killing Christians. And now he said, if you tell anyone that we have released the Tutsi, they will come and kill us. They were risking their own lives because of me. You see how good, great God is? And they were risking their lives. And finally, he said, if you tell anyone that we have released the Tutsi, we will kill you first before they kill us. And everybody said, no, we're not going to tell anyone. We will not tell anyone. And then I, I said, no, let, now let me ask you, are you willing to allow me to pray for you? They said, go ahead and pray. And I prayed and I said, Lord, please forgive their sins and help them to understand the battle they are involved in. This is not the ethnic battle. It doesn't have anything to do with the people, the Tutsis and Hutus. They are on the side of the devil. Let them know that they have to repent. And if, please forgive them from their sins. And after I prayed, no one, of course, knew how to say amen. But the chief killer said, he, they showed me two boys with clubs. They said, let these boys take you to their home to hide you so that other killers who were not here will not come and see you and kill you. Now, they gave me two boys. And now I had escorts, amen? And so I was with them. And everybody was watching me as I moved by, amen? And I was walking. I was passing and the boys were taking me to their home. And I went into their house. Now again, immediately, I was very cold and very chilling and, and, and tired and exhausted. And uh, I wanted to warm myself because there was a fire. It was a cold, a cold season in the month of April in Rwanda. It's very cold. So I sat around the fire after so many days. And, I was, and then they brought food. They brought meat. And I told them I don't eat meat. Even though I was hungry, I said, no, I don't eat meat. They said, really? Why? I said, I'm an Adventist. They said, so Adventists don't eat meat? I said, no, some do, but I don't. And I'm not going to eat meat. They said, don't worry. We will go and get some fresh beans. Amen? They went to their garden. They brought green beans. But let me tell you, God's so great. But the situation was going to even worsen because even though they said they, was not, they were not going to report that, I don't know who said, but around 11 again, after like two days, I saw the young boy coming. They were saying, no, we're not going to kill you. We will go and kill others, but not you. Imagine, they had not repented as such because they were hunting for other Tutsis. And I was right in the small room. And finally, when actually he came, he was rushing. He said, no, you get out of my house. They said, what? You get out. Say what? He said, no, you get out, they are coming. He said, what do you mean they are coming? They are coming to kill me, they kill me. And I said, no, please, if I go daytime, they will see me. Why don't you let me, I will go when it is dark and people will not see me. He said, no, they are coming and they will find you and they will kill you and they will kill me. And then I said, no, please, let me go when it's... He said, no, wait a minute. When I kept intriguing, he said, no, listen, you, you have a God, I don't have a God. <laughs> Our God is great. Even Satan, Satan knows the difference. Amen? Amen? 
See, you have a God, I don't have a God. You know, with your God can protect you, but I have no protection. And so what happened? You know, I went out because there was no other solution. There was a bean plantation. I went into the beans. I could not sleep this way. I just had to be in this position for the shoulder not to be seen. Because the beans were short. And I was praying. I prayed. It was very sunny. It was terrible. I spent the whole afternoon there. And then, of course, in the evening, I had to go back again to my friends. I was a burden. They didn't want me to come there because it was dangerous for their family. But I had to go. There was no other way. They had heard about the story, and they saw me coming. And when they saw me, they were silent. They couldn't say anything. They wondered what was going to happen. The old man was tired, exhausted. And finally, what he did, he said, no, I don't know where to take you. Let your friend, remember, I had gone to the family because of my friend. Let your friend and his brother take you to a bush where which they, they may find. In other words, it's like, I know you will die, so they let them just take you wherever they want. They took me to another bush, and that was going to be a palace, amen, where I was going to encounter my God. This was the time I met my Jesus, amen. Even though I had been praying, but I saw Jesus as he really is, and the testimony I'm sharing with you this afternoon, it is actually the real one, because I saw Jesus. I went in that bush. It wasn't an easy situation because I reached a time when I got tired. Now it was too long. My skin was like a dry leaf. If I, when I touched, it was like there was no life. I was dying. I developed a cough. And I was coughing. Now imagine you are coughing and you are in a bush. I remember my friend coming in the evening. His name is, was Celestine. He came in the evening. And when he, he found me coughing around midnight, he said, no, for Jesus, are you, are you coughing? He said, yes. Please don't cough. Can imagine you are coughing and killers are passing around and they are all in the mountains. If they hear you coughing in the bush, they will know you are a tutsi hiding and they will come and kill both of us. And I promise, I said, I'm not going to cough. Now, I didn't know I don't think he also knew that it was impossible. Because I said I'm not going to cough, but then I found myself coughing again. And I was, he said, please don't cough. It is dangerous for us. You are coughing in the bush and this is midnight. And I kept coughing and then I finally realized there was no way out. Now, remember, you are in the bush and it is the government. No one is rescuing you. It is like, when I, how long are you going to be in the bush? You are almost literally dying. My throat, even when he brought something to eat, my throat was sore. It was very painful. I couldn't swallow even sausage. It was difficult. And so I finally reached a point where I felt like there's no more. You, you, you know what Job did? He reached a time when he cursed the day he was born. And I reached that time. I said, Lord, what are you doing about this? And I determined that I am not going to be in the bush anymore. I said, I will go and join the killers. And if you have got to work out miracles, then do it. If you don't, then let me die. Because I said, after all, death is much better than life in this bush. I said, death is better. Now, my friend came. I'm talking about serving God. Saved while serving. My friend came that evening. I was determined to go out. And when he saw me, I told him, I'm going. Say, where? I'm going out. 
So where are you going? I'm going to face the killers because enough is enough. I, can't, I can no longer bear this situation in this bush. He said, no, for Didos, that's not faith. It's presumption. You are committing suicide. These killers are throughout the whole country. How can you face all the killers in the country? You don't do that. He, he reasoned me. Let me tell you. That is, somebody needs encouragement. I don't know who he is, maybe your neighbor, maybe your family member, but when somebody reaches a time such as that, there is always need for somebody to go and say, no, be strong, God is good, amen? This man, he encouraged me, even when I felt very desperate, he came and encouraged me. But guess what? The next day, again, there was another discouragement. Because when he came to me, now he could not talk anymore. He was now very discouraged. And I told him, I said, what is going on? He couldn't talk to me. He said, what is wrong? What is happening outside there? And he said, he said, no, you know what? Finally, there's no reason to hide you. Uh, this bush is not yours. So what do you mean the bush is not mine? He said, no, it is not yours. So what do you mean? He said, his family, they have been discussing about this situation. They thought, because the, the, the government, the local authorities had said, if we find a Tutsi in your property, we will come and kill you and your family. Because you will be the one hiding him. And so my mom is terrified. She's saying, you get out of the bush. Because the whole family is going to die. The family reason that after all, this man is going to die. Because he can't be in the bush forever. They will find him one day. They are hunting. And he's going to endanger our entire family. Let him go out. And finally, the boy tried to resist for about a week until there was a family meeting. And when they met the father, the brothers, the sisters, the mother, they all convinced him that he had to get me out of their bush. And finally, he said, no, this bush is not yours. Now, I was there without any help. But again, as I said, hope is hoping when things actually, there seems to be no future. Amen? And so I, told, I asked him, I said, Celestine, are you also going to abandon me? And he said, no. Even if you die, I will die with you. That was an encouragement. In such a time. And I told him, I said, is that what you say? Now. He begged. He said, they have given me a week to find another place to put you. But I don't know where. And I told him, I said, listen. They have given you a week. Let us give this week to God. And God is going to bring about a solution. And I told him, I am going to be in this bush. I don't have to fast because I have no food. I will be praying. And you, you will go and fast. And the whole week will show this situation to God. And God is going to bring about a solution. And we knelt down. Ladies and gentlemen, I spent a week, seven days, actually reading the Bible. Just imagine a situation where you are reading, and when you don't read, you are praying. There is not even one minute to drink water. Not even one minute. I mean, not even... Ten minutes, you are just there. You read. If you don't read, you are praying. And the little boy with me, he wasn't very little, by the way. When he reads, I'm praying. When I'm praying, he's reading. Just every second we are reading, we are praying seven days. And I'm asking God, I'm saying, Lord, maybe I don't have the faith I need. If I don't have that faith, you give me the faith I need. I'm just humble before you. But I believe you must answer my prayer. You must do something about this situation. They have given me a week. I'm bringing this week to you. I prayed. 
It was on Saturday evening when we started. And we were supposed to have this solution from God by Saturday. We prayed on Tuesday. We prayed on Thursday. We prayed on Friday. Unfortunately, on Friday, I didn't know it was Friday. I thought it was Saturday. Remember, I am in a bush. I can't count days. So I always say that I had the chance in my life resting two Sabbaths in a week. Amen? Because I started on Friday, I was saying, Lord, you are God, and this is the Sabbath day. You, uh, you rested after you created a man. Protect my life. Guess what? God, I prayed and prayed and prayed. It was a Saturday. I prayed for God's blessings. I was saying, this is your Sabbath day, but it was a Friday. Until when the evening came, I thought something must happen. I waited, and my friend, when he came in the night, I, he I said, did anything happen out there? He said, no. Why are you discouraged? He said, no. We are ending our seven days of prayer. Why is it that there's nothing that happened? And he said, no, you must not be discouraged. Today is not Saturday, it is Friday. I said, really? So I still had one more Sabbath, amen? Now I prayed the Sabbath day again. I prayed and prayed and prayed. Now when the evening came, it was heavily raining. I told God, I said, Lord, why should I doubt? I prayed for you to answer me. You must have answered. And I don't have the reasons to remain in the bush. I'm going out. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you have answered my prayer, and I'm going out of the bush. And I stepped, I grabbed the hand of my friend. I said, let's go. And we started our journey. Now we were going to the nearest home. I wasn't waiting for my friend anymore because I knew God was answered. And I went to the house. When I reached the house, of my friend, no, no, a house, a neighboring house. Guess what happened? Thank you. Guess what happened? I stood at the barza. There was no, I, uh, no way I could enter the house. I just stood outside. And I was waiting what was going to happen. But my bush in life, I had ended it. And then all of a sudden, I saw somebody coming with an umbrella. And he knocked. And when he knocked, the man in the house opened the curtain, and the light flashed into the eyes, the face of the man who, with an umbrella. And when I saw him, he was the father of my friend. And I approached him, I said, Father, and he looked at me and said, Son, are you still alive? I said, Yes. He said, Immediately, right the first word he said, Your God has answered your prayer. Amen. That was the very first sentence. The first person I meet, and the first sentence. Your God has answered your prayer. I said, what? What do you mean? Say, your God has, let me tell you, no one is in this village. All of us are running away. There is nobody because there is a rumor that there is another army that is approaching. So all of us are running away. Now you go, your friend said he's not going to run. He's in the home praying. He said he cannot run with the killers. And he's praying. You go and join him and you pray. Amen? Amen. Immediately, I said, Lord, I praise your name. And I said, as a sign that you have answered my prayer for good and no reversal, I'm going and let this way be cleared. I'm not going to go through the bush. Let no one be able to meet me until I reach the home. It was like two miles. And I walked. People were running. And I didn't meet anyone. And I went to the house. And I found my, my friend praying. And we praised the Lord at the end of the seven week of prayer. Amen? Amen. We have an awesome God. Now, since I have a few minutes, let me tell you, try to wind up. You are not anybody. 
You are a special people. Amen. If you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted him as a personal Lord and Savior, you are not anyone. You are so special in the eyes of God. Yes, you may be sick. It doesn't matter. Yes, you may go into prison. It doesn't matter. Yes, you may face challenges and trials. If that can glorify the name of God, it doesn't matter. Amen? But I believe if you are with God, nothing will just happen to you. And you've got to trust in him and praise him. Now, the challenge that I had, I had survived, but I did not know that I had survived alone, that my entire family had been killed. And before the genocide, I had prayed that if God would give me a job, I would pay my entire salary, buy literature, buy the Bibles, buy LNG White books, and then go and distribute those books into my home village and organize an evangelistic campaign. But, you know, when you think of going back to your home village, you are thinking of your own people. And now everybody had been killed, and we, here I am after the genocide, and I have to fulfill this vow. And I heard the voice of God saying, no, you've got to go. You promised that you would go and preach, you've got to go. And I said, no, these are killers. How can I go and preach to them? But the voice kept telling me, say, no, you have promised you are to go. And I said, Lord, you really want me to go there? And I said, a time came, I said, Lord, those who died were your children. And those who are alive are still your children. I remember buying books and packing my bag. And, and I, went, I, I, went, I told the pastor, uh, it was not, there was no security, but I said I would go. And I went and I preached. And I conducted just one week, a week uh, 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 evangelistic campaign. And a hundred, I remember killers, those who killed my family. I remember one guy who killed my own sister. My sister was such a wonderful lady. I, I'm not, I don't have time to talk about this. But I remember he came and he approached me. And I gave him a Bible because everybody who came and you visit, I gave him a book. Every time you brought a visitor, I gave you a book. And I gave a book to the one, uh, the visitor you, you, you brought. And I remember giving him a Bible. And I knew very well that this is the guy who killed my sister. And I told him, those who died, I believe they are resting. And if you repent, we'll meet in heaven. And I gave him the Bible. And at the end of the week, we baptized 120. It's a long story. I have to end here. Serving God. Serving God is more than our lives. Amen? Caring for the perishing is more than what we pray for sometimes. For our safety. For our survival. No, it doesn't matter because after all, when you survive today, you will die tomorrow. We are a special people. We have not been called just to live and enjoy life. That is not the purpose of our being. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And we have been called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. Remember this into his marvelous light. Remember, this is the passage I preached to the killers. Now, it doesn't matter. I know Jesus is going to wipe away all our tears. Yes, I've lost my family. I've lost my relatives. I've lost my neighbors. And right now, even the streets that went to my family, there is no more house because everything was destroyed totally. Only bushes. I don't even go. When I go, my home is now in, in the city, in the capital city. Because where my family used to be, my relatives, there is nobody. But allow me to tell you, I believe God is going to bring about those who died in him. Amen? Amen. 
a time is coming. And I believe the reason of my being today is to tell people that there is a hope beyond the hope of this world. Amen? There is, there is a time when Jesus is going to come and everybody should be prepared. I want to encourage you this evening that you give your lives to Jesus. If there is anything that is hindering you and you realize that is a hindrance in your life that is stopping you from seeing Jesus as he is and giving him your entire life, I want to pray for you this evening. I want to pray for somebody. I know. I'm just as weak as you, as anyone. But I've decided to follow this Jesus and to give him my time, my energy, my mind, everything that belongs to me. And I wish this could be the same situation for each of you. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, I want to kneel down. I believe in prayer. I want to kneel down. And I want you, by faith, to believe that Jesus is going to answer you as well. I want to pray for somebody. If you want, you can kneel down. There's a God in heaven. It's a God who answers prayer. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Heavenly Father, this is a great time. Right here as we kneel before your presence, we commit fully ourselves into your hand. You are a God who listens and who answers prayers. I've seen you. I've talked to you, I've seen you as a God, not one time, not two times, not even ten. I've seen you in multiple times showing me that you are a God who never changes. And that was for me to testify before your people. Lord, right now, after sharing with them what you did for me, I want to pray for them. I want to pray for this individual in his own name, even though I don't know him by name. But I pray for that man whose heart is committed unto you right now. As they kneel, they are saying, Lord, we invite you in our hearts. And I pray that you will accept them as your children. Forgive them from all sins. If there is any sin, any sin that is cherished, any sin that is excused, may you get it out of their hearts in the name of Jesus. Forgive them, Father, and accept them. Touch them where they feel most need of you, where the devil has wounded them. Heal them. I pray that you visit them in their homes. You visit, the, you visit them in their walking place. You visit them wherever they are. I pray that you hold them by their hand and let them be able to feel your presence. And from now on, help us to be able to walk according to your will. And we know you are coming soon. And help us to remember that our role of being, the reason why we are here today is for us to save the, the perishing, bringing them unto you. May you bless us and help us and give us the power and the ability to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.